Danny Cox, and you're listening to 90.1 FM KKFI Kansas City Community Radio. Support for KKFI brought to you by the Jewish Community Center of Greater Kansas City, presenting the Broadway musical Kinky Boots with 11 performances between January 28th and February 19th at the Lewis and Shirley White Theater. For more information, including tickets and showtimes, visit thejkc.org or call the box office at 913-327-8054. The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. about it is appealing everything the traffic will allow no way could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow there's no people like show people they smile when they are long yesterday they told you you would not go far that night you open and there you are next day on your dressing room they Costumes, the scenery, the makeup, the props, the audience that lifts you when you're down. The headaches, the heartaches, the backaches, the flops, the sheriff who escorts you out of town. The opening when your heart beats like a drum. The closing when the customers don't come. Before the show has started That your favorite uncle died at dawn And top of that, your partner I have parted You're broken-hearted, but you go on There's no people like show people They smile when they are long Even with a turkey that you know will fold You may be stranded out in the cold Still you wouldn't change it Well, hello. Welcome to this edition of the KKFI Arts Magazine Show. I am Michael Hogue, your host. Glad to have you with us on this very, very chilly Monday morning here in the city. As you listen to the Arts Magazine Show right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, your community radio station, right here in Kansas City. It may be chilly outside, but it's nice and warm and cheery here inside where I am. I hope it is wherever you are. Everyone's excited. Uh, you can't talk to anyone here, at least, uh, for, for more than 10 minutes without talking about the game yesterday. It was so exciting. Uh, 
And yes, the Chiefs will be in the Super Bowl in in 13 days from now. So that's all very exciting as well. Uh, it does such good things for community spirit. I mean, with the success of the Royals uh, a few years back and, and the Chiefs uh, a few years less back, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you can't help but notice, especially here with the public that we interact with at the radio station, how much easier it is to uh, to communicate. Everyone has things in common they want to talk about. And it's just a shame that this feeling can't be around all the time. <laughs> it really is. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, uh, that will stretch out and go on no matter what happens in the future. We're here to talk about some interesting things going on uh, in the area and in the region. In the first part of the show, we'll be talking with Darrington Clark who uh, plays the role of Darren Jr. in the Kansas City Repertory Theater production of Flood. Darrington uh, has been with the rep in The Christmas Carol, uh, Twelfth Night. Uh, let's see here. I, I should look this over very well. Uh, Hairspray and Godspell at Starlight Theater. He's been with Spinning Tree Theater, Musical Theater Heritage, The Coterie, the Milwaukee Repertory Theater, the Children's Theater of Madison, I assume that's in Wisconsin, and will be in Dreamgirls coming up soon at the new theater. He's uh, from Kansas State, uh, the Milwaukee Repertory Theater, and at times at least, uh, Darrington, an elementary school teacher. Obviously not now, you're doing this play. Uh, where were you an elementary school teacher at, Darrington? Um, hi, thank you so much, Michael, for having me. Nice I to have you. at Allen Village School, right in the heart of Westport, another oh, wow. really big Kansas City location. It used to be, the building used to be um, the Kansas City Ballet School and um, has since been uh, converted into an elementary through high school charter school. Well, you, you've been around. Nice to have you back in the city for a while. Do you thank think? You. Do you think once this uh, rep season is well, well, it says you're going to be doing a, a, a show at the new theater soon. So is that coming up soon in the spring or summer? In the summer, yes, we'll start rehearsing in June, and that will fortunately get to run all the way through September. So there are plenty of chances to see it. Yeah, Dream Girl should be an exciting show for everyone. Absolutely. I can't remember the last time if it's ever been done Kansas, in Kansas City, especially locally. You would think I would know, but I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. Maybe on a touring show that came through and, for instance, played the, the music hall, perhaps. Uh, right. Maybe right. a show like that. But I don't think any local companies have done it. I, they probably wouldn't have been able to get the rights before now, I would think. Yeah, that, I bet it's a hard one to secure. Sure. Well, let's talk about the one you're doing now, Flood, with all yes, of the yes. with all of the natural disasters that happen mm. uh, in the world, uh, earthquakes, uh, tsunamis, uh, Flood kind of fits right into that. As I read about the show, uh, you know, I kind of hearkened to the story of Noah's Ark a little bit. Yes, and, yes. And I'm sure, why don't I just let you talk about the themes of the show uh that's probably pretty important uh, people who had done reviews of the show uh in past productions talked about that would you like to go ahead darrington and say a few things about that oh i would love to i think first and foremost to get you know the editorial part out of the way i love this play i have been 
fortunate enough to be attached to it since late 2019, early 2020, when it debuted as a part of the Rep's um, new play readings series. Um, I got to read the role of Darren Jr. then, and I'm so grateful that they brought me back to be a part of the first fully realized production. This is a world premiere play. Um, this is the first professional production that it has ever received, and Kansas City, I think, is such an amazing place to get to do things like this because our audiences were so receptive and engaged when we did the reading, had questions, stayed after, talked to our playwrights. So we're really excited to see conversations generate when um, this play goes up. And you're exactly right. The, even the title, Flood, gets you to thinking about themes. We reference Noah and Noah's Ark in the play, but we also talk about a lot. Really, the play is about family family dynamics and how we communicate with our parents, how we communicate with our children, how we communicate with our spouses, and how do we do that in a world that is slowly getting harder and harder to live in. So no matter where you sit on the spectrum of age or gender, you're going to find something very relatable in this place. Yeah, I I have personally met some people who uh, live here now, but previously lived in New Orleans, and they talk mm-hmm. about evacuating the city and and coming here and uh, how how difficult that was on so many different levels. Uh, right. Does that fit in with the with the family <laughs> that you portray in the story? You know, I think it does. There is this element of, I mean, thinking about New Orleans and some of these other places that have flooded, you also read the stories about the people who refuse to evacuate, right? They yes. say, oh, yes. this yeah. is my home. This is where I chose to live, and I'm not going to leave because I, I just don't want to, or I can't, or it's too hard. And and we do. Our, our play talks about that, too, you know, the, the different perspectives people have on the life that they have built and how easy or how hard it can be to change your perspective or leave yeah it's it has to be very difficult i know a lady who has lived in kansas city for quite some time but she grew up in the new orleans area and uh, Mm -hmm. she told me she emotionally speaking now can't even go back and visit new orleans anymore because the neighborhood she lived in does not exist anymore all of those homes were wiped out including the home that she grew up in and um, she said she doesn't even want to go back there for quite some time so it, it can be difficult tell me about the family and the family dynamics uh wasn't there a movie once wasn't it a hitchcock movie where a bunch of survivors of a a ship were were in a small rescue boat and uh, all of the dynamics that went into that is this play <laughs> is this play like that um, I think that I should chime in here first and say that the conversation that we've had so far has been very heavy, and I do want to let people know that the play is very funny. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't <laughs> mean that. I don't want people to come in thinking, oh, we're going to watch a show about a natural disaster. I mean, you are, but it also has plenty of charm and wit and humor that is brought to life so wonderfully by this amazing cast of actors. And to answer your question about the family dynamic, I think the reason it can be so funny is because the family dynamic is very relatable. We have these two very traditional parents, and we have this next generation of their children who are everything they didn't expect their children to be. And so hearing the mother talk to the daughter and the father's relationship to the son, again, it's very you're you're really going to find relatability in it, but also there's a lot of humor and heart along with the the stress and the tragedy, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, and and 
being a lot of the play i i'm going to assume takes place in the boat while things were going on or does oh, that well, or does that come i mean i don't want to give away too too oh much, i see okay but the concept of our flood all takes place in the apartment building that the two parents of our family live in and we never leave that space oh, except okay. to check in on the children who are dealing with the problem yeah, we're speaking with Darrington Clark. He plays the role of Darren Jr. in the uh, Kansas City Repertory Theater production of Flood. It opens, at least in previews, I'll, I'll check with Darrington on that, uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, January the 31st, and runs periodically through February 19th at the Kansas City Repertory Theater's Copacan Space, which is downtown, right by the Power and Light District. And uh, the if you want to get online and learn more about it as I have on my computer right now. I have the reps webpage up there. It's kcrep.org and the ticket reservation number if you want to inquire that way is 816-235-2700. We're speaking with Darrington Clark, uh, a Kansas Cityan. Of course, he's been around. You've you've obviously, you've worked in Wisconsin, obviously. Mm-hmm. Other interesting places uh, along the way? Yes, I've gotten to, well, because I was born and raised here, I'm always going to have a special place in my heart for the Midwest, and that's where I've done a majority of my work. I've gotten to work a lot here. I've done work in Milwaukee and Madison, Wisconsin. I've been able to do things in Chicago. I love this really, really rich area of theater that we have right here in our backyard. Yeah, you've worked at at the Rep before in the Christmas Carol. What years did you, in what year span did you work the Christmas Carol? Uh, just this past year, uh-huh. 2022 was my first one. Okay, so do you, you're you're with the rep in that capacity for several shows this year. Yes, I got to do a Christmas Carol, and I got to open their season with Twelfth Night. Both incredible experiences. Yeah, and now you're in Flood, which is taking place. It's just because when I read about it uh, online. Darrington, and in the summary that the rep sent to me, uh, it, it made it sound like uh, the family dynamics were a big part, and it didn't really emphasize the humor, but I'm happy for you to tell me <laughs> that there is some uh, amidst tragedy often. Right. Uh, humor right. can be found, and, and that, that has to be a clever writer to do that. He's really, really an extraordinary playwright. And we have been so lucky in the rehearsal process to have him with us every step of the way. Dean has really been instrumental in taking in feedback and crafting this play, not only for Kansas City audiences, but continuing to make it sharper and better for everyone who experiences it. And you're right. I mean, you can't really have a play about a family without there being a little bit of laughter because we all know our families, right? Oh, (laughs) families are different. And I'm not sure why that (laughs) is, but uh, uh, I've noticed as, as you interact through the years of living that you learn about other people's families and all that. They seem to have the same kind of difficulties and challenges, yes. especially. And yes. rivalries. Rivalries is a big deal. Do rivalries play a part in Flood? Ooh, that's a really good question. I think just as much as rivalries appear in families, I think alliances do, too. And in our play, I think you see not only alliances that are made between siblings, brother and sister, in order to deal with their parents, But we also see alliances shift between, 
you know, who has always been right and whose opinions have always guided us into tomorrow versus beginning to form your own and looking at the world around you for yourself. And that's a really interesting way to grow within a family as well. Yeah, the family differences can be a tragedy as well. Not not only yeah, are we talking about the flood that's coming, but uh, uh, the difficulties of family dealing with it as well. I, I I'm assuming that they won't be able to go back to the place where they are now. And is that part of the situation? It's probably the the most moving and perhaps tragic part of the play is watching all of the characters realize that their home um, will no longer be their home. Yeah, yeah. Tell me more about uh, the writer, uh, uh, how he uh, came up with this concept. And we we know over the years from seeing and watching so many plays that uh, oftentimes personal things are worked into the plot. Is any of that the case with Mr. Dean? Absolutely. Um, again, because we've been so fortunate to have Dean with us through the process, we've gotten to ask him a lot of questions like that. And um, at, at the risk of getting too political, Dean was very, very interested uh, during the Trump election about how many women voted for him. And it led him to this narrative of thinking, you know, why do women stay with men who perhaps are not the best choice or perhaps, you know, don't have their best interests at heart. And from that idea, he began to weave this story about a couple, about a woman who has stayed with this man through thick and thin and, uh, and is starting to realize and wonder about the world around her that she's never really gotten to experience because of that. And it just grew and grew and grew until he came up with the idea of flood which can mean so many things, the uh -huh. natural disaster, but also being overwhelmed with emotions, also having a new perspective. All of these different things can totally devastate and overwhelm a person, and we get to see that in a lot of different ways in this play. Every situation is different, and yeah. uh, you, you have to consider that they make the decisions they make based on the situation they're in at that moment. I mean, it's hard right. to throw a blanket over people even as far as how they vote, you can't throw a blanket over people says, well, you're in this demographic, so you should be voting this way. That's not necessarily the case. It's, it's a personal choice often on the situation exactly. that they're in. Yeah, exactly. And you have to realize that. We're speaking with Darrington Clark, plays the role of Darrington Jr. in the Kansas City Repertory Theater production of Flood. It'll be at the Copacan stage. Have you worked uh, on the Copacan stage before? It's, it looks like most of the shows you have done for the rep uh, have been at the Spencer Theater on campus. Yes, they have. This is my first time being in the Copagan space in the Power and Light District uh, as a performer. However, uh, one of the first shows I ever saw that really inspired me to pursue theater was a rep show that was at the Copagan stage. I was a student, and they took us there for a field trip, and the Kansas City rep had put on a production of a new musical called Venice. And it was the first time that I saw an, a person of color lead a musical. And it really allowed me to put myself in his shoes and go, this might be something that I can do, too. So I credit the rep with really allowing me to see a version of myself that I never had. And now here I am performing on that same stage. You know, that was an interesting show, as I recall. I, I remember seeing it. Uh, it uh, The dynamics of the situation that he was in was uh, unusual. 
and it played yeah. itself out through the show. I mean, that was a show that uh, was going on to other cities, as I recall. Did it go to Chicago from Kansas City? Uh, but yes, I know it. Did. I know it played other places. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And at one point, it came back here for a few performances as well. But uh, but yeah. But the the previous artistic director liked to do that. No, all of the artistic directors that I've met and. I'm getting up there, so I've met a number of them. They all have a different <laughs> philosophy of, of plays that they put on. Uh, the, the gentleman from uh, Massachusetts, and I can't think of his last name right now, he liked to do more ethnic plays. Uh, the, our, the previous artistic director who had been there much longer before him liked to do uh, more traditional plays. And in fact, in those years, the rep did a Shakespeare production almost every year. And for many mm-hmm. years, ha- hadn't done any musicals at all. And I remember that artistic director commenting with me on the air that, uh, well, I have this wonderful orchestra pit and no orchestra in the pit. So, right. so it depends on the management, the artistic director and your, and your director for this. But this one, I don't want to steer people off here. This is a, strictly a drama comedy. It's not a musical. That's right. But you've been in a number of musicals here, and I'll ask you about that in a minute. But tell me about the rest of your cast in Flood. Let's cover that first, if you want to talk about some of them. Absolutely. Um, we are led by Laura T. Fisher and Matt DeCaro, um, who have both have um, quite a bit of a resume uh, in Chicago, as well as many other places. But um, they knew each other from Chicago and are getting to sort of unite for the first time as a coupling in this play. And it is so powerful to watch these two really experienced, really generous and um, nuanced, detailed performers take on um, such interesting roles. And again, in a new play, we since we are the first cast to really get to do it in a fully realized production, we really get to put our stamp on these characters. There's no predecessor. There's no one to, told, to have told us how to do it before. So watching all of my castmates do that for the first time is really inspiring. And of course, my sister, played by the incredible Jamie Morrow, um, is also a Kansas Cityan. And so it's really important for the both of us to get to play on these stages that are in our home. Sure. Yeah, it's it's uh, exciting for you. You open, is it a preview tomorrow night? We do our first preview audience tomorrow. We'll run previews all this week. Okay, and so the official opening is probably Friday or Saturday? Uh, yes, February 3rd, I want to say, is our official opening. Okay, that would be Friday. And that, of course, I'm going to repeat, at the Copacan stage of the rep, they That's have right. two spaces because uh, they're probably preparing a show for the Spencer stage, uh, even as we speak, perhaps, even while this show will be running at the Copacan. And we'll be running through February 19th. And once again, if you want more information about that, and uh, we caused you to be interested, go online as I am right now. I'm looking at your at your page right now, kcrep.org. And the number of the central ticket office is 816-235-2700. Speaking with Darrington Clark, sounds like a very interesting show and uh you know it's hard to get humor in there so i have to credit the writer for that I, well mm-hmm. probably the director as well uh the uh, uh, uh how do i want to word this i want to word things properly how has the director brought this out in you and the other performers 
Oh, a great question. Our director, Ken Prestoninzi, was also the director for the reading that the rep did of this script several years ago when I worked with him in that project as well. Um, so we got to have a little bit of experience working together on this project before we even came together to do this production. Um, I'm very, very grateful for that because as passionate as our playwright Dean has been about this show, Ken has also been just as passionate and just as on fire and has been working on it for these three years in between these two projects. And so his familiarity with the piece and his own personal connections to family, to being overwhelmed by environmental problems, he was really able to bring a personal touch to all of our performances. And he's crafted such a beautiful, beautiful design. The costume and sets and props are all, you know, the KC Rep standard. They're stunning. Uh -huh. Yeah, well, they have a very fine department in that regard. And part of that is their MFA program, which uh, yeah. helps as well. Uh, and uh, all of those things gone together. Now, you've done shows here, if if I may deter, deter here. you, I guess yes. the, were those traveling productions of Hairspray and Godspell that uh, where you performed at Starlight? Um, no, those were actually local productions oh, okay. where they cast and produced right here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, what about Spinning Tree? Do you remember what you did at Spinning, Spinning Tree? Uh, one of my favorite theatrical experiences that I've ever done. My favorite musical, Once on This Island, oh. I got to perform there. Oh, great. Yeah. What about Musical Theater Heritage, where you've also performed? Yes. Musical Theater Heritage now, I think, rebranded just as Music Theater Heritage. I was able to be in some really incredible shows. I got to do Cats, the musical there, as well as My Fair Lady, a classic that I never really thought I'd be able to do, but I was um, I was amazed and grateful to have the opportunity. Oh, well, th things change, Darrington. <laughs> you can you can even do a show like that nowadays. They'll That's just right. they'll just fix the cast to uh, work for the dynamics that they have there, <laughs> as, as and well. Really well. Yeah, you've done uh, uh, children's theater in two places: the Coterie here in town and the Children's mm -hmm. Theater of Madison. Is that much like yeah. uh, the the Coterie or Theater for Young America is here? It is. You know, the Coterie is. Um, renowned nationally as uh, programming and producing really excellent youth theater. And the Children's Theater of Madison lives right up in that top four or five in the nation. They really do incredible work, not just on stage, but with their educational programming and reaching out to the community, which has always been a passion of mine, too, both at the Coterie and Children's Theater of Madison. I performed but was also a teaching artist who would go into schools and sort of bring theater to these groups of students who might not have access to it otherwise. Children's Theater is uh, very much needed. I remember when I was young, especially in, in grammar school years, uh, we often went to see shows. Uh, in, in mm -hmm. At that time, there was a children's theater associated with, uh, uh, well, it was the performances were at the Municipal Auditorium, in fact. That's where they were. And I remember seeing so many things, even when I was in grade school, and I never had really seen uh, play before. And uh, I was asked to be in a play when I was 11. But, but <laughs> I then, by then, I had seen enough to where I had some semblance of an idea of what I was doing. So children's theater is very important. They, the symphony was called the Philharmonic in those days, and uh, our grade school went to that as well. So I feel so lucky. Mm -hmm. I just wish more students uh, got to do that today. Uh, the school where you teach, do they uh, have an emphasis on the arts? I assume they do because they have you teaching there. 
Yes, yes, I got to teach music while I was there, but they also have um, a great uh, theater sort of program, this extended program called Drama Time, that's uh, run by another uh, local actor and producer and performer in the area. And so, like you said, it is very important, and I'm so glad to be able to contribute to some of the arts education to students here in the city. Yeah, sure. Flood, which is the current production that Darrington is in, uh, opens in previews tomorrow, the actual uh, official opening but but you see basically the same show in, in previews with some little yeah. tweaks of course uh, opens up this week tomorrow night in previews at again the Copacan stage of the rep they have two as you if those of you who don't remember they have the Spencer Theater on campus the historic Spencer Theater and the Copacan stage which is in the H&R block building uh, down by the Power and Light District. The, the official address, if you uh, MapQuest addresses to find your way there, one H&R block way in the Power and Light District. And uh, the number to call for more information at the Central Ticket Office, which is uh, right there within the offices of UMKC, 816-235-2700. And, of course, you can go online at KCREP. Dot org. I want to thank my guests for taking time out of his busy schedule probably this week, especially since this is opening week. Darrington Clark, he plays the role of Darrington Jr. in the show that, as he said, uh, very appropriately, I think, a flood is a natural disaster and it also is kind of a way of modifying and talking about family dynamics and things like that that go on as well. So you're getting it on both levels, aren't you, Darrington? That's right. I'm so excited for people to see it. Please come join us. Okay. You can see him in this uh, through February the 19th and uh, look forward to seeing him. If he's not in something in between, (laughs) this summer in Dreamgirls at the new theater. And and that's a musical. So I I assume you sing and, and dance and all of that as well. Yes, I do. you got to learn to do it all nowadays. That's right. You really do. Thanks so much for being with us. It was, uh, it was great having you here. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Darrington Clark plays the role of Darren Jr. in the Kansas City Repertory Theater production of Flood, opening in previews tomorrow night. The official opening is uh, Friday night at the Copacan Stage downtown by the Power and Light District. We're going to take our mid-show break right now. When we return, we're going to talk about the, the Albrecht Kemper Museum. Uh, in St. Joseph, Missouri. When we return, you're listening to the Arts Magazine radio program right here on KKFI. 90.1 FM. Freeze Frame! Hi, I'm Russ Simmons with Freeze Frame, KKFI's weekly look at the newest cinematic fair in theaters and streaming. The Hollywood rom-com meets an R-rated social commentary in the Netflix movie You People. Jonah Hill plays Ezra, a white Jewish podcaster who falls for an African-American Muslim designer named Amira, played by Lauren London. Eddie Murphy and Nia Long are Amira's perplexed parents, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus and David Duchovny are Ezra's befuddled folks. The crude language and content provide the story with the edginess it aims for, but the proceedings have a candy-coated Hollywood sheen. Still, You People is an often funny, sharp, and observant dissection of contemporary race relations. Alexander Skarsgård and Mia Goth star in the hallucinogenic midnight movie Infinity Pool, a grisly horror entry that mixes sci-fi elements with class critique. 
Skarsgård plays a struggling writer who, along with his wealthy girlfriend, goes on vacation at a posh resort in a third world country. Another couple introduces them to some depravity, and things get really strange when the local authorities get involved. Writer-director Brandon Cronenberg's opus initially received an NC-17 rating, but some minor changes allowed them to sneak by with an R. It revels in its ugliness, but this infinity pool is just shallow. Bill Nighy gives an Oscar-nominated performance in the touching drama Living, a British reimagining of Akira Kurosawa's classic 1952 Japanese film, Ikiru, which was in turn inspired by Leo Tolstoy's novella The Death of Ivan Ilyich. Nighy plays an aging bureaucrat who re-examines his life when faced with a terminal illness. With the limited time he has left, he decides to see if he can make a positive impact. Living is a thoughtful, introspective, and touching drama. Until next time, I'm Russ Simmons with Fox 4 and KKFI-FM. Freeze frame! This is Diana Lynn from the Tasty Brew Music Radio Show. On Friday, February 3rd, from 9 a.m. until 1 p.m., I'll be hosting a special four-hour Folk Alliance International Conference Takeover edition of the Tasty Brew. Scheduled to appear on air with me are Australia's Nick Vulture, Kansas City's Cameron Keeling, Nashville's Patterson Barrett, St. Louis's Beth Bombara, Mike McClure's new project, Crow and Gazelle, and Spain's Pipo Romero. That's a special four-hour edition of the Tasty Brew, Friday, February 3rd, from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. on your community radio station, 90.1 FM, KKFI. Did you know your business or organization could be sponsoring this episode of Arts Magazine? Learn more at kkfi.org slash marketing. And welcome back to the Arts Magazine show right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, your community radio station right here in Kansas City. I'm Michael Hogue, your host. We're going to journey up north now. Uh, and not just North Kansas City. <laughs> All the way up to St. Joseph, Missouri, where a historic... Uh, Art Museum is up there. Uh, I'll let her <laughs> describe myself. That, that's what I would say from reading all about it, kind of an art museum up there. The Oh, and I'm afraid of this pronunciation. I should have asked you. Albrecht? It's funny. That's how it's spelled, but generally people say Albright. It was okay. the way the family pronounced it. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't want to yeah. make the family angry at me. Okay. The Albright Kemper Museum of Art. And they said, Kemper? That sounds familiar. Yeah. With familiar. Uh, so I guess Mrs. Kemper at one point helped out, and so that she got her name attached it somehow. Was, um, actually, Crosby Kemper um, was a huge supporter of the museum. Um, donated great pieces of our collections over several decades and was instrumental in helping us build the expansion to the building in the 1990s. The Albright Museum <laughs> is in St. Joseph, Missouri. And uh, I, I'm so is the Jesse James home. Yes, Pony <laughs> Express. Those are our big ones. You know? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So St. Joseph has a history. Yeah. And it, uh, it said that the uh, museum had a hundred year history. Um, yeah, the... The, the history of the museum is a little bit interesting. It grew out of the St. Joseph Art League, which was founded in 1905 after a local um, a young local artist. Um, she went to Venice and studied with William Merritt Chase and decided that St. Joseph needed one of his paintings as, um, you know, a cultural um, education and to... to um, 
you know, just kind of help put St. Joe's on the map. So um, they formed the Art League and they raise money through teas and change collection. They put on an opera as a fundraiser um, over a couple of years and got close to raising the amount of money they needed. And then Chase went ahead and said, yeah, I'll go ahead and sell it to you for that. And so the Art League collected a few artworks here and there. But then in 1966, um, the Albright Gallery was officially formed as a museum. And um, so we've got a little over 50 years of history in our our location. Um, And we've grown into this great collection that focuses on American art. Just all of through all of American art history, we have um, this a wonderful painting of George Washington by Rembrandt Peale. Um, some sort of some of the early American great portrait painters, Gilbert Stuart, things like that, all the way up through um, contemporary artists, especially working in the Kansas City area. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I properly introduced yes, you, yeah. but you're Megan Bennett's. Yes. You are the registrar an exhibitions manager of yes. the gallery so <laughs> when they have uh, special presentations and all of that uh, you arrange that i do i i do all of the arranging and hanging and um, then the other part of my job is taking care of our collection um, working with our education department on programming and um, just ways that we can share the collection with the community. Sure. Well, I'm happy to give you exposure yeah. <laughs> so people learn more about yeah. you. People, they they hear, I've heard the name before, yeah. but I guess I automatically assumed it was somewhere in this area. Mm-hmm. And it's in St. Joseph. Yeah, which is not that far away. <laughs> so what, about uh, an hour? An maybe? hour. It's an hour drive from here at the radio station. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... Uh, Let's see. What what one of the things on the website that I noticed uh, you had a call for a local artist. I noticed is local. Does local mean St. Joseph area, Western Missouri? Uh, um, local definitely includes Kansas City for everything we do. Um, we actually have a couple of different calls for artists coming up. Um, part of our mission is nurturing regional artists. So the first thing we have is our undergraduate exhibition. Um, it is a juried show that um, actually we, for that one, it's undergraduate artists from anywhere in the United States are eligible for that. So if you're a college student or you know a college student, um, that the, um, the deadline for that one is coming up next week, actually, on February 6th. But um, we've been doing that one for several years, and we get um, entries. I think last year we had entries from 11 different states, wow. including Florida, Texas, Ohio, uh, Wisconsin, um, so it's a great chance because I feel like undergraduate students don't always get a chance to show off their artwork and maybe necessarily as much like graduate students would or things like that. So um, we feel like it's a great chance for younger students just developing their work to, to show off what they're doing and see what their peers are doing. Would you prefer a slide of the work or is a picture attached to an email? Does that suffice in this day? Oh, everything is digital. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, for that one, it's students send in a digital image of their work and then we have um, area artists jury it and um, cut the list down to we usually show about 60 or so pieces for that show. And then we have another call for artists coming up that is in partnership with Mosaic Life Care, our um, area hospital system. And that one, I believe, is anyone within, I think it's 100 miles of St. Joseph is Uh eligible for that one. Um, 
we've had that partnership for several years where artists, um, we hang their work in the hospital spaces. Um, the hospital has found it's a great chance for, um, you know, it's a distraction for visitors, patients, things like that, to just have something different to look at. Um, I know their um, their caregivers, their employees are always very excited. Every time we come and change artwork, they're super excited to see what's what's coming up next. Where it's, and even the like three days when there's nothing hanging on the wall between changing shows, we keep we always hear about it. That when's our artwork coming back? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's important to uh, lighten the mood if that's possible in a place like that. It is. I think yeah, it's you know one one gallery area is near the um, like the surgical waiting rooms, and I know I have been there. I've been the family member who's waiting on someone to get out of yeah. surgery and just being able to like walk and look at something or not be just staring at blank walls it makes a difference i have too i've been in that yeah. situation it's important and that's one of the functions of art exactly in my opinion, to uh, to do things like that mm -hmm. not, not just in exactly what we're talking yeah. about but in general art uh expresses things uh, often the uh the pieces tell stories. They do. Although I had uh, an important artist once tell me, it doesn't always have to tell a story. Sometimes it's just beautiful. <laughs> and I suppose that's true. That's also. true. And sometimes you put your own story on it when you're looking at it. That's so. true. We read things. What is mm -hmm. the famous one? that There was a, a musical written about it. It's uh, in the museum in Chicago. Uh, um, Sunday in the Park, Park with Park. George. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Now that tells many stories. Yes. And when they wrote the play, they tried to tell stories of yeah. that. And that happens. Exactly. You know, so so you would like for them if if they want to enter this competition yes. to uh if you want to characterize it as a competition yeah. uh you want uh, uh some you have to see the work the copies of their work at yes least. yeah um all, uh, everything is um juried in so we have you know, ask you to submit images of your work and should i give them the website uh yes where yeah. they can get Further information and, and know where to send this to. Yeah, you. and all the yeah all the entry information. Albright Museum. Now that's spelled A L B R E C H T mm. hyphen Kemper dot org. Yes. Okay. And if you go for there, there's a, a specific call for artists page, which is where we always put up um, anything we have going on uh, for local artists. When I originally. Uh, became familiar with you you had and i guess the time for this has already stopped but, but was that a special presentation that was going on oh our membership exhibition was that it okay yes that is actually currently on view you can view that at the museum until february 19th and um this is one of our favorite shows and we always feel like it's in some ways one of our most important um this is the 49th year for it so next year will be our 50th anniversary and we're already working on uh plans to um, kind of go over the top with it but 49 years ago they decided that the role of the museum was not just to show you know kind of the the artworks that we think of as the canon or great artists but also anyone who's producing art um, should be able to show that off and have it seen and um, so this show is open to anyone who is a member of the museum uh, and this year we had 105 artists submit 188 works. Wow. Uh, our youngest artist was eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a great piece. It just hangs there with everything else. And it's, it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite shows to put up every year because I've been at the museum 12 years 
And so I have seen these artists, um, and, and it's it's a whole spectrum. Like I said, we have you know eight year old artists. We have people who've just started taking classes and want to show off their work, all the way up to professional working artists who are showing in galleries here and across the country. Well, sure, and these things are important. You, you hear the expression in a lot of the creative areas of life. Where are all the new artists coming from? Be that writers, exactly. uh, be that singers and all that. But it's especially true with the artists as well. And and like I said, since I've been there 12 years, it's been fun too, because I've seen artists develop. I have seen artists who, you know, people who loved art, wanted to be able to do something, took a couple of classes at the museum and really found the thing they love, whether it's, you know, we've had some people that discovered watercolor painting is, you know, their thing or colored pencil or, or, or whatever their medium is, whatever their mode of expression. And so they've been doing it for years now, just watching their work grow uh, and, until they're winning awards. We do, we have 10 different categories. And so we give awards in each category uh, for the work and, um, one of my favorites was a few years ago, there was like a high school student who entered his ceramic work and his high school teacher also entered his ceramic work and the high schooler won an award and the teacher didn't. <laughs> but the teacher was so proud well, and man, so excited sure. for his student. And like, those are the things we love seeing happen. Um, that sometimes these young kids just, they find their thing and, and, and can share it. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's nice, of course. But, but then again, I remember the actor George C. Scott, <clears throat> who once refused an Oscar <laughs> with, the, with the comment, artists should not compete with each other. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there's some little friendly competition going on. And like we say, we, we switch up our judges every year. So, um, you know, just kind of interesting. Some years, the artists really like abstract work. So it's abstract work is winning all the awards and other years they don't. Um, and so it really kind of goes to show too how art is subjective and different things speak to different people. And that's also kind of fun too when I'm walking around the gallery listening to people say, oh, well, you know, I wouldn't have given the award to that one. I would have given it to this one because this speaks to me or I think this is uh, a strong way to share that. Or, you know, wh whatever, why, why the piece speaks to them more than the piece that won leads to great conversations among people too. Sure. Yeah. And mm -hmm. yeah, well, competition ha has two sides. <laughs> exactly. Of course. So mm -hmm. you have to watch that. We're speaking with Megan Bennett. She is the registrar and the exhibitions manager for the Albright Kemper Museum of Art in St. Joseph, Missouri. I do, I've never featured that on my show before. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, when I hear the name Kemper, I said this to her before we started. When I hear the name Kemper, I think of the Kemper Museum here in town. Mm -hmm. But this is entirely different. It is. Yep. Yeah, and it's been probably here a lot longer. You told the story earlier. There is a picture on your website of, uh, it looks like a tremendous mansion. Mansions were much bigger in those days, weren't they? <laughs> it's, it is interesting. Our the So our museum, um, when it opened in 1966, it was in the, the home of William and Lena Albright. They Their family donated their home to be used for a museum. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I've, researching the history of it the house was built in the 1930s and they used the most like up-to-date things in it it was one of it had central air from the very beginning it has all oh, wow. metal framing it had an intercom system they they you know used state-of-the-art everything in it so even in 1966 um 
it was a great place for a museum because it was already air conditioned and it was very fire safe and all of those sorts of things. And um, so the museum opened in the building and it, people are always surprised when you come to visit, the house is only about one room deep. They built it so they could build it wider and taller. It was. <laughs> and so it looks more impressive from the street, but it's not like, it's really only like, you know, kind of the dining room and uh, the parlor space. And then you're in the garden in the original house. You mentioned the uh, <laughs> the air cooling and heating yeah. system, which I think would be very important for a museum because the temperatures of places, uh, you go to some of these famous museums, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying yours is, yeah. but uh, they make a big deal out of the fact that you know, very climately controlled yeah. and has to be, it has to for be. the art. Well, and that was, that was part of the reason that the Art League was excited to, to have the space because earlier they would have the, the St. Joseph Art League would have exhibitions and show art in another building downtown, but it uh, there were like four months of the year when they had to be closed because it was, I don't, I don't remember if it was the summer or the winter, if it was closed because it was too cold or closed because it was too hot. Uh -huh. I think it was closed in the summer because it was too hot. Oh, probably, yeah. Uh, I would think heat would be worse than cold. Yeah, and, and buildings were made to be heated more than cooled back then, so... But then, you know, they could be open year round. And our museum opened, the opening exhibition was Wayne Tebow. Oh, okay. Um, you know, in 1966. So he was just kind of an up and coming name. Um, you know, now he's, you know, one of beloved American artists of who course. just recently uh, passed away at 100 years old. Um, and so we're always really proud of that fact that the museum has always kind of been featuring American artists that way. And so then, by the late 1980s, the house wasn't big enough anymore. Uh. The collection had grown. Um, you know, modern art seems to just tend to get bigger and bigger. Uh, you know, in an old house, it's you don't have spaces where you could show a 10-foot tall canvas, for example. So they decided to expand the building. So we have we built they built on space with large modern galleries and storage and classrooms and and all of that so luck, luckily the house was had a large garden space in the back so they just expanded back there there and um has has let us move into the modern day what better place yeah. to to have a mm -hmm. art museum than mm -hmm. in a historic mansion because some people like to see the older buildings yes. and they can see both at the same exactly time. doing mm -hmm. it this way mm -hmm. before time gets away from mm -hmm. us uh, you, w tell us about what you have coming up in the way of exhibitions uh well like i said the membership show is on view until february 19th along with a show from our collection called stampede of bronzes we have a large collection of Western bronzes, mostly by Gus Schaefer, who was a Kansas artist. Um, and so that one is on view until February 19th. But opening February 25th is um, Transcendence, Truth in Nature by John Halsey, who is a painter from Lawrence. And this is a project he's been working on for a while. Um, you know, he feels like when we think about landscape painting, we think of images of the mountains or images of the sea, but he really sees the beauty in sort of these small moments in a Midwestern landscape, in a, in a creek bank, in a f the edge of a field, in those, you know, waving grasses and things like that. So he has been uh, 
painting, using lots of palette knives and thick paint to really get that feeling of looking at natural spaces, and many of those natural spaces that are threatened, too. Um, you know, we're losing more and more of these, you know, wooded areas and grasslands and things like that all the time. So part of his show is to, to get us thinking about that as well. Um, so that will open February 25th and run through April 16th. Yeah, but it's open. What are the hours, for instance, the year round? The, the museum, museum is open Tuesday through Friday from 10 to 4 and on Saturday and Sunday from 1 to 4. And every fourth Tuesday, we have um, our after hours time where we stay open from 5 to 7. It's free to the public. And we usually, you know, keep an eye on our social media. But there's that's usually when we may have artist talks or um, musical performances going on. Um, we usually have some kind of dinner option available. Um, so it just it, that's, you know, f you need to come up in an evening. The fourth Tuesday is always a great one. I'm going to give the address. Sure. And if, if, if they're familiar with St. Joseph, mm -hmm. they may know 2818 Frederick Avenue, uh, zip code St. Joseph, of course, Missouri, mm -hmm. 64, zip code 64506. And there is an 800 number to call. In the era of cell phones, you don't really <laughs> need those 800 numbers anymore, but not everyone has yep. them. They have landlines as well. And it's a 1-888. 254-2787, and that's the number of mm -hmm. the Albright, uh, uh, and I should give, from, from what I read, it was Mrs. Kemper primarily. But, but It was actually Mr. Kemper. <laughs> it, it was, was Mr. Crosby, <laughs> Crosby Kemper was primarily the one, um, yeah. So. Uh, but, but that's the number to call, yes. too, mm -hmm. if you have anything to learn about. And, of course, their website, Albright, spelled because even I had it wrong, as, as you recall, if you heard the first part of the interview, A-L-B-R-E-C-H-T hyphen Kemper dot org. And yes, the same Kemper family yes. that has mm -hmm. uh, many institutions here in the Kansas City area. And they picked St. Joseph as well. Did Mr. Kemper hear about that and want to get in on it? Um, I think so. I think the family there um, had early ties to St. Joseph, like long before they moved to Kansas City. And... Um, you know, just even when we were a smaller museum, I think he felt very attached to it. So, like I said, he, some of our best pieces of art uh, were donated by him over the years. Um, he was he was a big believer in American art. Yeah, and very mm -hmm. tall, as I remember. He was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, mm -hmm. I remember that for sure. Well, what else would you like to tell the audience before we conclude here? Any special things coming up? Uh, uh, banquets, uh, anything else? Museums have different things. Like oh, yes. That. Um, our, our Pot of Gold uh, auction and gala fundraiser is April 29th. Uh, if you're interested in that, it's our fundraiser auction and dinner. Uh, information about that is available on our website, and there'll be more information soon coming out about some of the great um, auction items available. But it's always just a fun party um, to, to celebrate the museum. This year the theme is An Evening in the Enchanted Forest. So there may be some little fairies running around and little, <laughs> little, little magical creatures. So. Yeah, and leprechauns maybe for St. Patrick's Day? Oh, uh, you know, we haven't talked about leprechauns. <laughs> It'll be late April, so. See, St. Joseph, I, I should say, St. Patrick's Day is big here in Kansas City. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, we don't try to compete with that. <laughs> oh, well, you don't have to. Oh, and St. Joseph with the Western theme? Yeah, so. it's a great day trip. Um, come up and visit us, and there's, um, you know, Pony Express, 
Museum, the St. Joseph Museum is just up the block from us that um, is the history of St. Joseph and the Glore Psychiatric Museum. So um, it's a great place to make a day trip. There's fun restaurants, local restaurants too. So um, we, we joke that people from St. Joe come to Kansas City all the time, but people from Kansas City feel like they have to like pack up and take a lunch with them because <laughs> it's so far, but it's an hour. Easy to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This a little ways off of uh, I-29, perhaps? Um, the museum is about a mile and a half off of I-29. Well, thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Uh, let me give those again. Uh, the uh, Albright Kemper Museum of Art, 2818 Frederick Avenue, St. Joseph, Missouri. If you uh, like to run those zip codes through MapQuest, mm-hmm. 64506. And, of course, the 888 number to call, 888 888- Two five four two seven eight seven and the website albright-kemper.org and you'll learn all about uh, what you're mm-hmm. going to do on your trip to St. Joseph. That could include uh, the, the Jesse James home, which, as they explained, was moved from yes. where it originally was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but it's in a much better location yes, now, yes. I think. Mm-hmm. And you can, yes, you can see. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's framed. <laughs> the bullet hole in the wall. <laughs> where where he was shot. Yes. <laughs> Historic things in yep. St. Joseph, as well as, as you mentioned, the Pony Express. Thanks so much for taking some time in with your trip to Kansas City oh, today. Thank you for thank having me. Sorry it was such a cold day. Oh, but. it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Megan Bennett, the registrar and exhibitions manager for the Albright Camper Museum of Art. Yeah, like to have uh, things like that going on. It's always fun to mm-hmm. visit uh for, for several reasons. Yes. A yeah. museum, be it an art museum. And we run classes all, all the time, too. So, Thanks for being mm-hmm. with us today. The Jazz Canadian is with us. I'm sure he has some exciting jazz to play for you today. Maybe some celebratory jazz for, uh, for our, our team. <laughs> and going to the Super Bowl, of course. Have you, did they hear that news in St. Joseph? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear that. But the, uh, we'll have jazz from 1 to 3. The, and, and in true KKFI tradition, jazz from 1 to 3, the blues from 3 to 6, right here on your community radio station, 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City's community radio. So until next, we meet, ladies and gentlemen, at that cross in the road. I'm Michael Hogue. We'll see you next time.